Hi, I'm Corey. And I'm Samantha. And, and we're, we're Coco, Coco and, and Jojo. Welcome back for another week of the Coco and Jojo show. We um, have wrapped up season three of Yellowstone. So we're going to discuss that a little bit later. We also have wrapped up a movie called... Pieces of a Woman, our first 2021 film. Release, yep. Release on Netflix. <laughs> and we're going to discuss that in a little bit as well. Um, so, how has your week been, Corey? Okay, still... Corey's been on a three-week yeah. vacation from work for the holidays, so he's wrapping up his last week now. Um, bittersweet. Yeah. It'd be I know nice you... to go back to work again, but at the same time, it's been nice to have all this time with the fam. Yeah. I know you're looking forward to going back because you're not home entertaining the kids all day, um, but I know that you've also been enjoying the time off. Yeah. I can see that. Meanwhile, I have been working all week, so when half my family wants to stay up until 10 or 11 o'clock at night finishing Yellowstone episodes, I have to remind them that I have to get up and go to work in the morning, unlike the rest of you fools. Yeah, but we're done now. You yeah, caught we up. Are. We're done. We finished, we did, I think, three and episodes And now in you're bummed. Night. You already watched season four. <laughs> I know. Uh, eager to finish, but now we have to wait. Mm-hmm. Corey did surprise me um, and ordered me a Yellowstone sweatshirt. Yep, now she's part of the brand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I wouldn't go that far. What Definitely would you do not. for John Dutton? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> um... It hasn't come in yet. It's supposed to come in this week, though, so I'm excited. So are you more a Monica or a Beth? Oh. It's um, <laughs> a tough question. <laughs> Can I be like a little bit of both? Sure. What do you see? I'm probably a little more Spitfire than Monica, so I'm probably more like the Spitfire of Beth, but I'm not quite as evil and mean. I mean, I don't think I'm really evil, but... I think... Monica has underrated Spitfire, though. She's really more than willing to stand up for and fight for what she believes yeah. in. She just comes off as a little more soft-spoken and um, timid. And I don't feel like I have that type of personality. But I do see the, like, peace and just, you know, enjoying the land and leaving things alone. And I could see that peace in her and she's a pretty good mom oh yeah that's true too so you're saying i'm a pretty good mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) thanks um well okay let's ask you then do you consider yourself more casey or more rip they both kill a ton of people (laughs) (laughs) like at least your characters aren't murderers um Okay, minus the murderer part, because we know Corey doesn't kill people. the murderer part. Personality, not what they do. Personality, probably more Casey. Yeah. Rip is really hard and toughened by, like, a hard childhood, and I don't... While everyone's childhood has ups and downs, I would imagine, or most do. Mine is nothing like... Oh, Rips. for sure. Like what he I mean, saying. I didn't grow up with the wealth of Casey either, but I was far from what Rip was. So I would say... Well, the like, abuse and stuff that he went yeah, through. Yeah, and I would yeah. just say Casey's upbringing kind of made him more what he is and Rip what he is. So I would 
say I'm a little closer to Casey, where he's a little more level-headed. He's not going to be quite as... Like, Rip's an angry person for sure because mm-hmm. of, I think, everything that happened yeah. to him. And while I may have been that when I was younger, I'm definitely more... I think people have said I've calmed down as I've aged. So I would say I'm more Casey for sure. Plus, Casey has the kids, so you see, like, the father interaction. Yeah. You saw a little with Rip and Tate, like, how he has the potential to be a great yeah. dad. But it's just I've seen more in me, uh, more of me in Casey than, than Rip. Yeah. Makes sense. The only thing that I'd say... Oh, no, I can't say that either. One thing that I have always had naturally is I like to be the leader. I'm never a follower. You know that. Mm -hmm. I don't like trends. I don't like doing what everyone else does. In fact, I tend to go against the grain on purpose. What? Um, I mean, there's times... There's... Sometimes you are influenced, especially when it comes to, like, fashion or things like that. A lot of times you see something that like a rapper or somebody's wearing and then you kind of want to have that the ralph lauren hat that you have um with the bear you saw somebody else wearing it and liked it and wanted it um i don't I know think if i see it I feel like, like sometimes, if, if a new, does that mean you're following a trend just because someone else has something no i didn't say it? i said you're influenced i said you're influenced i think that sometimes you'll see some of those people and you get a little just like some of those like winter jackets that you were talking about that's definitely not like just Corey pulling it out of nowhere i feel like you've seen people wearing it and you got influenced by it trust me i'm influenced all the time by people especially when it comes to like fashion i guess and stuff like i guess that. maybe with fashion I'm not in the know. I guess if I was like in Hollywood, it would be easier to make my own fashion up. Yeah. But, but other than but, that, but, yeah. No. But you don't just follow. Well, for instance, for sports, I found out like early that. on that I struggle with team sports because I very much want to do my own thing. So I'm, and then I excelled at individual sports. Mm-hmm. You have to be your own person. You have to think for yourself to do that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one example. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, they're both leaders. That's what I was going to get at. That's yeah. the long wraparound. I was going to say Rip is more of a leader of men, but that's not really true. They just lead in different ways. Casey tends to lead by example and because he's not as outspoken and leads by like his decision making he like takes it upon himself he takes like he's very thoughtful with his decision making yeah whereas rips very like instinctual like what and uh, he kind of leads more by fear like right he likes uh, to bring a lot of fear into the people that he leads so that way they listen to him and do what he asks mm-hmm. just like i was always yelling at jimmy or mm-hmm. you know telling them to do this do that shut the f up <laughs> <laughs> he definitely puts the fear in it mm-hmm. and uh you can see that too like when casey's just starting to take over well i wasn't expecting to just jump right into, <laughs> into yellowstone but when casey's starting to take over which was more in season two anyways right um he's kind of telling them what to do and the cowboys are just kind of like sitting around and then rip comes over and he's like well, go, come on, go. <laughs> and then they'll leave. Mm-hmm. So you can see his difference in their thing for sure. Um, Would okay. you say, not to jump off, you gave only Casey and Rip as examples. Do you think John's a leader or no? Yeah. Just differently than those two even, right? Oh, for sure. Probably the thinker and the strategizer type leader. Yeah, he does. I mean, he's definitely, okay, so like, 
Casey, well, he's training Casey to think a lot like him. But Rip, for example, he's not really about the business side of it. He's just literally focused on the ranch and taking care of it and managing the men. Where John has to make sure that's running smoothly. But then he has the business side and he has the political side and he has the law side. Like he just has everything that he's trying to balance and delegate. And he has, you know, he has Rip helping him yeah, out but what with leaders- the... Not to cut you off, but what leadership qualities does John have? Like, that's not... You know, you're just explaining, like, his character and all his roles, but what, like, leadership quality do you think he has? Like, is he... Like, you said, like, Rip leads with anger. How would you say John leads? Or Rip leads with fear. How do you think John leads? Similar? Um, Don't you think people fear John? Intimidation? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say fear as much. I'd say, like, intimidation. Not even on purpose, it seems like. I think that's just how he comes across. Because I would say, John, his, let's say, three different ways he's leading, intimidation for sure. Yeah. So, like, I think that people, like, literally fear Rip coming over and kicking their butt. And they don't think John, John's not just going to come over and kick someone's butt. He's just intimidating where you're, you know. That's where my second one was going to come in, which they do, it's Rip to an extent. But number two is respect. Mm-hmm. Like, John kind of demands respect, yeah. but in a different way. Yeah. Rip demands it, like, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to beat you up. Like we said, like, with fear. Yeah. John doesn't demand it like that, but he expects it. Because John also leads, like, John I will help, confidence. and I will help you, like, like he does with Jimmy. Like, I'll pay for all your medical bills, but you need to do what I say. Like, yeah. things like that. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's another way that he has shown leadership. He's more, to me, the strategizer of the whole... Like, he's like a thinker. Well, that's what I was trying to explain. With him having all these different roles, he can't just lead by fear because he's got so many other things that he's, you know, doing. So he is... That's what, that's I was trying to explain why he was a strategizer and a thinker. Yeah. Because he's got a bunch of different things, which he's trying to train Casey to think like that and not just be like Rip where he's just leading. And that was the problem with Lee, the one son that died in the first season. He could only think of the ranch. He couldn't think of the business side of it. So he's trying to teach... Casey the business. Yeah. And I would say what Casey and John excel in a little more than Rip would be on people's skills. Like, people are attracted to Casey. Like, seem to be, like, want to be his friend. They like him. I think because... John has a likability, but... Like, among people his level. Like, if you're rich and you're up in establishment, you respect John and like John for whatever reason. Right. He doesn't connect so much with the lower people, but... Yeah, I think uh, Casey comes off a little more genuine in what he's doing. So, like, there was a scene that I know you're referring to where the other, like, ranchers come to Casey's office after he has gotten the livestock commissioner's role, um... And they're just thanking him for taking care of this one situation where someone stole cattle. And he, like, literally took care of business. Mm-hmm. And they were just so thankful that he did that, not just for himself, but for the entire ranching community. Mm-hmm. And I would say with John, to say, like, ability for John, is after the Native Americans help him out, that one guy comes back and said, maybe he isn't our enemy. He's, like, an honorable yeah. man. Right. So I just mean like people see traits in Casey and John that I think yeah. they're attracted to. Yeah. Rip, not so much. It's harder. You gotta yeah. really <laughs> dig deeper into him to yeah. see it. And you have to be more 
um, which is inter- connected to him. Sorry, that's kind of it's interesting. I feel like I'm bashing Rip, and he is my favorite character. I think he's like a deep character. That's oh yeah, that's what I mean. Like, like, like the people that know him, like yeah. John, Casey, Beth, um, even some of the other cowboys. You know, mm-hmm. like okay, for so example, look at Rip and Jimmy's relationship. To start off, Rip was totally hard on Jimmy, and Jimmy probably was terrified of him and hated his life and didn't want to be around him. But then once Rip started trusting Jimmy more and built a relationship with him a little bit more, he started showing Jimmy that I'm here for you, I'm backing you up, I'm supporting you, I'm protecting you, I'm doing everything for you. And Jimmy saw how loyal he was and how trustworthy he was and how supportive, you know, like how he would be there for him. So Rip is the type of character that just has to You have to build. earn Rip. Right. And then yeah. once he is on your side, you're you're he's Except the kind of friend life. you want he's for. He's loyal. Life. He's yeah. a very loyal friend. That's his number one quality. Yeah. For sure. I would say his number one quality, yeah, is loyalty. I don't know if I can say what if there's like an overbearing personality trait that John and Casey have. Um Casey like okay, is I would say Casey's Personality trait would be like word? like a protector. One word would be protector. Because he's always it doesn't matter who anybody is, he's protecting them. That's he's, true. Because even the ranchers that he doesn't yeah, know. Yeah, when he was on the, the reservation, he was protecting those people. You know, the other ranchers. That's why I think he likes this new role that he's gotten as the commissioner because he can actually protect and take care of business um, in the livestock area. And one word to describe John. Hmm. Powerful. Yeah, that's a good word. I was going to say something to do with family. Because I even think like his personality, while he can say things real subtly, it's always like powerful. Yeah. Like it's normally like with intention. Yeah. And it's pretty direct. And I thought that's was getting way off. That's kind of like what I like about Walker too. Like when he says something. Walker isn't like as direct as John, but it's like a poetic, like deep thing yeah. that he's normally he's very saying. Poetic, yeah. yeah. And John is like that kind of way, but it's it's deeper and he's it's a little more, more direct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but another I would also which I would also say that John is very like um fatherly, I guess. Like everybody looks up to him like as a father figure. I don't know another word to use in that mm-hmm. besides calling him fatherly, but um Something to do with his family. He's very big about his family and taking care of his family. And whether you are exactly his family or not, like Rip, taking care of Rip because he's like you're family to him. You're saying the word now. Not necessarily fatherly, but if you're going to call Casey the protector, then John's the caretaker. Yes. That's that's what it would be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Because he takes care of everybody. Uh-huh. Literally everybody on the ranch. Yeah. Whether they think it or not. Even Just Beth, like Jimmy. Beth probably thinks she's independent, but really, John takes care of her. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. she spills beans to him about... <laughs> yeah. You know, like her yeah. situation with Jamie, knowing mm-hmm. that he's going to go after Jamie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's dive into season three now that we gave some things away. Yeah, I mean, let's just get right into it, I guess. Um, oh, so season three. Um, season two ended with a very uh, intense situation. The whole thing with Tate and... Um, the whole shootout, going to get them back. It was, it was season two ended just like insane. So season three definitely comes in a little bit more mellow. Um, they start off the season going to summer camp where they are going off into one of the pastures that's hours away on the land because they've got like 
500,000 or I don't know, an insane amount of acres on the land. So they're off doing that and they're setting up summer camp there so they can watch the cattle. And um, I was watching some stories just now of the cast talking about the different stuff in episodes. And they were explaining how season one is just very much, or episode one is very much like a healing time. The family is just taking time to heal and recover from the events that just happened. So summer camp is the time for them to get back to the basics, to go out and enjoy nature, focus on work. Um, they take Tate out there so that he can kind of heal from, you know, what he just experienced. He definitely deals with some, they show him dealing some with some PTSD post, yeah. for sure. Um, Which you brought up. It seems like they allow his character to get over that quite quickly. Yeah. Which you can chalk that up to kids tend to get over things quickly or poor lazy writing. Yeah, I think they just didn't, they really didn't focus a lot on it. And they honestly, Tate wasn't as big a part in this whole season as he has been in the past. No. Um, I'm not sure the reasoning behind it. I don't know if it's because he's getting a little bit older. So they're trying not to write him in as much because... Like Corey said, the seasons happen, like, immediately. Like, Beth is still recovering. She still has the um, scars and stuff on her face from when she got beaten up. And, you know, like, everybody's still kind of recovering from... It's like Jamie was in the same clothes, I think, episode one. Yeah, he was. So um, it's going to be hard for him to continue to write Tate in like that when he's growing so fast. As you're shooting, you're going day by day in the show, but you're going year by year in real life. Yeah. So Tate's ageism is, and, and you we can know, notice. Right. And we know kids grow fast, yeah. and especially within one year. Yeah. Um, oh, so as most of the, the workers and family and stuff are away at summer camp, we actually have Rip and Beth who are basically left at the ranch by themselves and that gives the chance for their um, characters to develop a little bit more in their relationship and for us to see them um, have some like one-on-one -on -one time and Yeah, their, their relationship starts to definitely become more intense uh, even by the end there is a proposal Yeah. from Beth. Yep. And at the end of season three. At the end of season three. So they're headed down that road. More like the middle-ish. It's and not then, even the end, end. And then you do find out that uh, Beth cannot get pregnant. Uh, she lets Rip know that. And then they decide to uh, let us in on that uh, story, which is what Samantha and I had been waiting for. We were wondering what is the real reason between jamie and beth and we guessed on it our yeah. last episode so we didn't know exactly what we but didn't know exactly we what what we were pretty we were pretty close yeah um we just were trying to figure out why beth was so pissed off and so evil to jamie like what did he do that caused so much hatred to come from her towards him um and so it just turns out that there was a pregnancy in her teenage years that he helped her get rid of. But um, unfortunately, the way he did it, he took her to the reservation and they gave her a hysterectomy. So she wasn't able to have kids. And she didn't know about it um, when it happened mm -hmm. until later. So, um, so another thing that we start off with in season three is this new character, Rourke. Um, he's seen in, in the beginning, actually, just fishing in the stream in between the land, 
And Beth pulls over and has, you know, a few words because she can't just let anybody, anything go. Well, she says, you're trespassing. Yeah. And he says, no, I'm not. The river isn't yours. Right. And she said, but the land is. He goes, I know. I walked all the way down from my house down the river, which we know isn't true, but he's giving her a hard time. So this turns out to be a character that Beth just can pretty much say and do what she wants, but he just can't get any, she can't ruffle any feathers out of him. You know, he just takes it all and doesn't seem bothered by it. Um, So it's a nice challenge for her because, you know, most of the people are intimidated by her. Um, And I think it pisses her off even more, the fact that he doesn't get, you know, ruffled and intimidated. And I would say the reason he doesn't is because you don't really know at that time but you find out he's a pretty powerful man and a wealthy man. Yeah. And so not much is going to bother him unless you're another powerful, wealthy person. I think he thinks messing with Beth is fun until later in the season he realizes messing with Beth isn't that fun. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's not until towards the end, though. Right. She starts to get ruffled because she's starting to mess. He didn't think she was capable of messing with his business. Yeah. Which we all know that is what Beth does. And while it's nothing major, which he knows because they meet at a bar and he goes, why are you just messing with my stuff? Like he takes it even lightly at that point. Yeah. Until they start buying big when she really goes at it, buying out his stocks and and plummeting his stock. Yeah. At first, she's just nibbling because it's just her. And he's like, can you stop doing it or at least do it between these hours where it doesn't bother me during my work time? No, during so, my fishing during time. My fi- yeah, during my fishing time. So he is like just taking Don't it as Don't do it off hours. Do it during work hours. Like you can tell he respects the fight, but he knows ultimately he's going to win. She's not doing anything. But later it gets bigger and yeah. then you see him like he smashes a computer mm-hmm. and he starts to get annoyed because she's starting to affect it. Yeah. So... We're kind of left wondering, um, most of the season, what exactly his character's doing. I mean, we know he's attached with another company, the Marketing Equity or something, mm-hmm. um, who's trying to build an airport in the middle of John's land. Um, but it's still just a big mystery as to like what his character is going to do, um, what's going to happen with that. And let's see... Um, well, we find Rourke is a... Did you want to dive into the two characters that he's attached with? Or are you going to do that later? Um, so we also, early on, see two new men kind of wandering around John's land, but they're not actually on his land. And one of them is an old acquaintance of John's um, that he doesn't get along with, of course. And um, so we try, We don't really... We know he's sent there to kind of ruffle John's feathers a little bit, but we don't know why and we don't know who sent him until later on. And it turns out that Rourke is the one who is trying to get John to do something so he has some leverage against Rourke him. Rourke did his homework and realizes John has a history of acting violently and getting away with it. But Rourke wants to ruffle John's feathers enough where he'll act violently and they can catch him in the act of doing something dumb. Yeah. Well, John's too smart for that now. And John catches on to that so (laughs) early. He knows that's what it is. He just said, I think he tells Rip, like, I know they're here to bother me. I just don't know who. You got to go find who. Right. Yeah. Like like, I can tell. He doesn't. I mean, of course he goes and like, you know, he goes after them a little bit and, you know, but he doesn't get fully worked up where he does anything. No, he kind of does his typical, what we said earlier in the show, like, 
his intimidation fact. He tries yeah. to intimidate them. It doesn't really work, but they they do show a little bit. Like he shows face when it's time to yeah. kind of you know show his muscles a little bit. You know, this is my land. Don't mess with it. Blah blah blah. But when it comes to ta- comes time to taking care of business, he sends his guys off to handle it. He doesn't go and do it himself. He mm-hmm. he's learned better. He knows better. Um. So we also. Corey and I had discussed that there's been a lot of character development in the season. It was a little bit slower than seasons previously. Um, there would be a little action here and there, but overall it was a lot of character development. We learned a ton about each character. We could honestly go on and on and on probably for hours about each character. I would say to do, to quickly run through things, Casey becomes livestock, John steps down. Yeah. Livestock commissioner. Yep. Jamie becomes the attorney general after starting off the season as the livestock commissioner. Yeah. Um, Beth and Rip are getting married. They're in love. You see a lot about their relationship. Jimmy starts rodeo. We learn a lot more about Jimmy. Jimmy's, Jimmy's, Jimmy's personality. To, yeah. And we, we start to definitely care more about Jimmy and his... You know, he's not just a worker on the ranch. He's actually a big part of the show at this point. Um, but yeah, he gets into the rodeo. To, he was trying to make extra money even in the previous season. It turns out he really enjoyed doing it. So he keeps trying to do it, and then he gets injured because he's distracted by another girl. And um, that's when John tells him, you know, like, look, I'll pay for your hospital bills, but you got to stop this, you know, I can't have a worker that can't lift up stuff because I have a broken arm. Um, but then he's got, so he's got John on that side of him telling him what to do, who John is literally giving him house and food and pay and everything. And then he's got this new girlfriend on the other side telling him, follow your heart, do what you want to do. Basically, she... No, she basically gives him the ultimatum, do, do rodeo. At the end she does, yeah. Or I'll leave you. Yeah. She basically can see how good he is at it and how much fame he kind of gets from it. And it's almost like she wants that out of it, mm-hmm. not even just him. She wants to follow him around. By the way, she gave me ultimatum. You can tell that she's just looking for, like, the fame and fortune out of it. Yeah, and I think I said to Samantha at the end, see, she really is just a buckle bunny. Like yeah. That she's really just attracted to the fact he's a rodeo yeah. person. That's it. Um, so, John, I'll quickly do because... All John's character does is enjoy the ranch and then fight to not lose the ranch this whole yeah. season. Like, And we know that about John, so I'm going to just go, we can get off of that. Like, nothing, not a lot of character development The with biggest John. thing, which I noticed when I was watching a, a clip just now, the biggest thing about John with this season is that he's a little bit more vulnerable. You see a little bit more of his softer side. He goes into some, like, backstories a little bit more of his, you know. Talks about how he gives a little bit of insight into um, his wife and Casey at yeah. one point. Um, I mean, you can always tell that even though Casey is the one that kind, in his mind, kind of betrayed him. Not really betrayed him. I don't even think he took it as betrayal. I think he loves Casey a whole bunch, and his wife did too. And he didn't understand why Casey left. Yeah. Like, I think that hurt John. At first, we couldn't tell. It seemed like he felt betrayed. Well, but I think he was more hurt, because when he talks about Casey, like he did then, you could, like, see 
his eyes light up talking about it. It also seems like Casey's a lot like his dad, and his dad probably knows that, and so he knows that he has a lot of potential, and he had, like, his dad probably was like, oh, this is my son, he's going to take after me, you know, I'm going to show him the ropes, he's going to take over everything, and then he left him, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's why I don't think he ever fully writ him off, because... For a Native American, nonetheless. Yeah. Which John has had problems with the reservation, so... So when he comes crawling back, he definitely welcomes him with open arms and tries to then give him, like, look at now, Casey's now in charge of the ranchers. Well, I don't think Casey came crawling back. John kind of forced him back. Um, Casey didn't totally want to come back to the ranch and everything. He still came back on his own, though, after Monica told him to leave. He had nowhere else to go, so he came back. Yeah. Um... And his dad took him in. But anyways, Casey's now... So, okay, so even if he did that, he could have just been working in the bunk. But then his dad finally got him to take over, you know, mm-hmm. the ranch. And now he's, now he's doing the livestock commissioner. And, you know, he's just following right behind dad's footsteps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then let's get to the character who had the biggest development. Jamie. Jamie. Jamie was the most developed this season. Um He's been really underdeveloped in previous seasons. Yeah. Now he, because all I, we kind of look at him as like the weak, self-motivated, like motivated only to help self, I should say, kind of person. The only time he'd help, I feel like he only helps John out of fear, to be honest. Not mm-hmm. even really out of love. Yeah. He fears his dad. Yeah. And Jamie's a real like scared character. Yeah. He's, yeah. Um, he lives in fear. But anyways, you... He becomes the attorney general like he wanted to be from the beginning. So that was big for him. And then in doing so, he finds a little more out about himself. And he finds out why maybe the whole family doesn't view him the same way. At least we think Beth, we know for the, at this point, John obviously knows that, spoiler alert, Jamie's not a Dutton. Yeah. He is adopted. He's adopted. Um... And it not only that, but I think he's starting to understand why he doesn't fully fit in with the family. You know, like how he's a little bit different and he's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, Jamie does spend a lot of time this season getting to know himself a little bit, trying to figure out what his values are, what he wants to do. Um, he does go looking for his dad and he meets his dad a little bit because his dad actually has a history of... Um, Violence. Violence and killing his mom. So now he's terrified that that's in him. Um, And we also see Jamie um, kind of get his own little, like, backbone. Once he gets the power of the attorney general position, he starts to step up to his dad. And there's one scene where John... You have John, you have the marketing people coming in. They all have a big meeting about the airport. They're all doing this huge thing. And he's... Jamie's in his role as the... Um, attorney general and he's also in his role as being the owner of the land seeing he has the power of the land and he's going to sell it to this this lady and john's like tell you are he's like who gave you that power and you know jamie spews off all his illegal stuff well, he goes you did because the papers that beth signed are in utah meaning they're only good in utah and yeah. if you were any kind of lawyer beth you would know that like yeah. a direct he like loved the shot at beth that i'm smarter than you right at least when it comes to this stuff and i'm smarter than you when it comes to this stuff so they were annoyed for sure but yeah. so that was the line big... that he draws on the sand i don't know if it's gonna work out as well. that was a big that was like a big turn for that character for mm-hmm. him to fully 
Because um, before he tried to do that, when he spilled the story to the reporter, and then he got scared and nervous and came back with his towel between his legs, asking someone to help him fix it. Now he's doing the same thing again, but he's owning it, and he's, you know... Oh, he's not coming back with his towel between his yeah, legs this time. Yeah, yeah. I so. think, um, too, he feels like he has the power of some of the other politicians behind him this time. Yeah, I think he his position, he feels a lot more powerful and confident yeah. in um, what he can do, you know? Um, what else? Um, so Walker does return this season. Corey's smiling ear to ear. I was um, excited. He's one of my favorites, definitely. So when, when we see Walker come back, Rip and Lloyd are at the bar after they just had like one hell of a day, I think. Well, Rip is actually asking Lloyd to be his best friend. He man. did, but before yeah. that they had like a, wasn't there like a rough scene? I don't know. They were at the bar, relaxing, celebrating, Rip getting married. Rip and... had a tough day because he, uh, that was a funny scene. It was a funny day for Rip. He had to go on a drive to go look at horses with Jimmy, and Jimmy's girlfriend came along. <laughs> she wouldn't shut up. <laughs> Drove Rip nuts the whole time. Yeah. So Rip's just in a bad mood yeah. the whole time. Oh, he does let a horse free, though. He let the horse free. Yeah. Um, so they are at the bar, and um, you hear somebody singing, and they turn around, and sure enough, it's Walker sitting there singing at the bar, his little guitar. In Montana, which... He- KC told Walker, if you wanted to live, you need to get out of the state, and we never can see you again. Yeah. So um, you immediately see Rip's face. He's just pissed. <laughs> he is pissed. Um, so they they get Walker, and they bring him back to the ranch, and they have to figure that whole thing out. So basically, you know, they KC tells him he, you need to take the job back, or Rip's probably going to take take you to the real Rip's train probably station. gonna kill you and i'm not gonna stop it yeah. this time yeah because at first casey was kind of leaning towards well we can't like kill him what are we gonna do and then rip does make him see like if we let him go how can we trust him when he's seen this 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 and this right. knows this and we just kidnapped him and let him go like he can't let him say all this stuff yeah especially because he didn't listen to you the first and then, time and right. leave the state and then so casey does look at him and goes kind of your only options are to take this job or yeah, and Walker does say that he's um, on probation and he's a prisoner. So That's he what he said. He goes, Casey, I can't. I got my probation. <laughs> um, and he has to meet with his officer all the time. But um, so, so we have Walker back, and he's definitely a little bit different this time around. He's partaking in things. Um, Still not by choice. No, definitely not by choice, but doing more than he did before. Before he would just stand around and watch everybody do it, and now he's actually doing stuff. But that's because they're making him. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learn a bit more about Monica. Monica is taking a new... Wait, before we jump off Walker, because I do like that character. Okay. Do you think, like, in season four, he's just doing what they say for right now until he can bide his time and do something bad probably to rip or someone else i do because i still got this weird feeling we're going to see a real walker rip showdown yeah like a real one i do think there's still more to come with walker yeah. i don't think he's just gonna like follow along and that's gonna be the end of it i think he's still gonna try to break free or you know he's good there's something's gonna happen like i said about sure. walker being poetic he's also like a thinker yeah like walker this whole time i think they will this next season they'll show him 
thinking of ways to fight his way out or figure like sneak his way out yeah i think he's just got to figure it out because he he at least thinks i think that he's smarter than pretty much everybody except john maybe he don't even think he cares about john i think he thinks he's smarter than most people he just can't figure out how to get out right now yeah and um he carries himself like a certain way that's why i say that he like maybe it's just his confidence and i think that annoys rip a little bit too like Walker has just this confidence in himself, and I'm gonna do what I want to do. I can do what I want to do. And that I, annoys me. I it. do think that the fact that they brought him back into the show like this, though, I'm hoping we're gonna see a little bit more character development in him. Find out what his past is about more, because that's still a big, huge mystery. Um, and I want to learn more of his story. So I'm hoping we see some of that in season four. Yeah. Especially since they're keeping him around. Yeah. Um. Okay, so Monica is probably one of the last characters to discuss. So we know that she's gone off to become a professor at this, the university, and she's still teaching um, on, on the reservation or just regular school. I can't remember. Um, but now she has a new, um, what would you call it? Like a new, something that she wants to do. Like it's her new. Well, she has a new passion. Yeah, her new passion. That's what you would say. Um, to basically help the women out on the reservation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she agrees to work with the chief, and then she sets, well, they all together set up a situation where she has a broken down car on the side of the road, somebody comes by to help her out, she gets in, but this whole time we don't know that this is set up until the very end of that. Um, although I did speculate that that was what was happening. Um, and it turns out that he does, of course, try to take advantage of her. He drives off the the road and tries to, you know, um, tackle her and they end up killing him. And that's like this, you know, big turning moment for her because she feels like she killed him basically because she set him up Mm -hmm. for them to do that. So her and Casey have a big moment about that because Casey's still been really quiet about all the work that he does because he feels like he's just off killing people and he doesn't want Monica to think differently of him. Um, so that was kind of a moment that they shared. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of that um, with Monica's character moving forward, do you think? Yeah, it's just interesting that Monica is off helping the reservation. I think she's a character that's really torn because she wants to be true to her Native American roots and really help out that part of her heritage. Yeah. Well, she's full-blooded. All of the uh, part, she wants to help out all of her heritage, basically. But at the same time, I think she feels like a huge hypocrite because here she is off living in this million-dollar white person's ranch mm-hmm. on a white person's land that used to be Native American land. So she has this really interesting. Uh, she constantly is torn because balance. She, she wants what's best for her son, which is to not live on the reservation because it's just not safe there. Um, and she wants him to have this education and life experience over here. But yet, she, you're right, she's just tied to her people and she doesn't want to feel like she's turning her back to them. But and you can tell she feels guilty for her personally living there. Yeah, I know. She doesn't That's what I'm saying. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but she still just wants to be able to help them out in some way, even if she's not living on the land. 
Because, I mean, her and Casey talk about at one point living off the ranch, not necessarily on the reservation, because Casey goes, well, I'd be like, for his job, memory wanted to be closer, because he yeah. was like, what about down in the city? Yeah. And she did kind of agree to that. So I don't know if they are going to eventually move off the ranch. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, they don't really of, go down that path. They talk about it, and then yeah. it just kind of fades away. Yeah. They don't really dwell on it too I would much. assume the answer is no, because ultimately Casey, I think, the ranch is his. So. Oh, she did decide, though, to let um, but John teach, because um, she was going to send Tate to city school, and then Casey convinced her otherwise, and she was kind of hesitant, but then she decided to, to go with that. And we didn't really see much more about that either, so I don't know if we'll see some more of that in season four or what. Um, but um, season three ended quite differently from the previous seasons. Previous seasons kind of were wrapped up in a nice little bow. Things had a resolution. We saw, you know, um, the big moments, and then they kind of, you know, resolved. This one, things were just building and building and building, and I guess we felt like it was slow because nothing actually happened until the very end. And then now we're left with three different cliffhangers wondering what's happening to these people. Mm-hmm. I would say all of those little cuts that Beth was doing, like we talked about that were annoying Rourke, um, that wasn't that significant until Beth went at the the CEO of Market Equity, right? Willa Hayes. Willa Hayes's character and... Um, Willa Hayes gets Beth fired for her action, basically for screwing up the company that she works for. And Beth, Beth, in typical Beth fashion, doesn't seem too worried about it. She seems like she, I got something for you. I'll get you back. Mm-hmm. And she does. She puts up a claim of her, of Willa doing harassment in the workplace yeah. or whatever, which seems. I don't know, when I think about it, like that seems like, yes, that would be a story, but that isn't like something that's going to get you fired necessarily without proof or something. Yeah, it's just like weird allegations. There wasn't like, like a whole lot of explanation as to what was happening. We just saw that it bothered her and it mm-hmm. distracted her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's meant to go anywhere or if it's just meant to be a, distract, a distraction so that way she can't focus on taking the land. Well, anyways, um, she gets distracted and annoyed enough with it that... uh she gives Rourke the okay to play all the way dirty, which means violence. We assume. We don't know. We have no idea what happened. So the end of season three, John gets shot. A bomb is, shows up at um, Beth's old office, which is cleaning it up. And goes off. And goes off. And um, Casey's office is... Two people come in like in, in armor with masks on and start shooting at Casey. Yeah, and that's how it ends. You don't see Casey get shot. He flips up the table. Like, I mean, Casey's a trained soldier, so just how you would expect one to act is how they show it, and then they like cut out. So yeah. we don't know like what ensues in a shootout, but as I've said before, and if you've seen season one and two, Casey with a gun is one of the last people you want to be in a shootout with, so I kind of know where that's going. Yeah. The more concerning one... We see John even is okay as he pulls his phone out and a bullet hit it, so he's not actually shot. He's shot in the arms, yes. Yeah. He's bleeding from his arms. But his chest, abdomen are all fine. He shouldn't die from those. He's just hurt on the side of the road with no one around. And then um, the more, the most concerning is a bomb in Beth's office. We yeah. don't know what happened. 
And then we also see Jimmy, who tried to get back on the rodeo horse. He gets bucked off, and he's just laying passed out in the um, arena. And then Rip pulls over and shoots a horse in the field that's injured. And... Like, I, all I said to Samantha is I can't really figure that scene out because I was like, oh, no, it's a setup. Like, people are going to jump out and now yeah. shoot Rip, too. And they don't. And all that's really said that's kind of meaningful is I've said it before and, like, I'll say it again. Like, I'd rather kill a hundred men than one horse. And then, then he shoots shoot then horse, he, then yeah. shoot one horse. And then he shoots the horse. And all I got from that is, is that because Rip isn't injured? Are we is Rip about to go on a rampage because you just shot the person that Rip considers his dad now? They're like out of father son relationship, and then you just bombed his fiance. Yeah. Rip's gonna be a man on a warpath in season four. Oh, for sure. And it also like seems like Rip is like kind of like at this like calming point. He like watches the horse and he's like looking at the sunset kind of, and he's just like in his own moment. But little does he know like. Shit's hitting the fan all around mm-hmm. him, and stuff is about to get crazy. So, um, I just think, yeah, I just think season four, you're gonna see. I think season four is gonna come in guns blazing. Yeah, I think it's just gonna be high power, high action from the beginning, and I think it's gonna go most of the way through. Yeah, I do too. Based on how season three was set up, because there wasn't a lot in season three. Um, so, I think season four is gonna be like a high action season. At least I hope anyways. I think it should be similar to season two. Season two was high. <gasps> yeah. Season two gave me so much anxiety. All right. Well, that was 45 minutes of Yellowstone. That's okay. I don't have too much to say on the movie that we reviewed. Um, like I said earlier, we reviewed Pieces of a Woman. Uh, the plot of this movie is a woman named Martha experiences tragedy which is oh i do want to say before we get into big discussion um for anybody that has dealt with infant loss or anything like that this i would give you a trigger warning for this based on what this movie's about uh she experiences tragedy which is the death of her child during an at-home birth and from that moment everything around her starts to fall apart including her relationships her relationships basically relationships with everybody because because work actually she seems to hold together she when she goes back to work i mean she's working like she doesn't lose her job i thought they said that she did quit at one point she had stopped showing up maybe yeah yeah Yeah. and she wasn't like fired but i think she she quit yes she might have quit um so go ahead with the cast the cast was uh martha was uh played by vanessa kirby uh, Sean, who plays her boyfriend, husband? Husband. Husband is played by Shia LaBeouf. And then their mom, Ellen Burstein, is... Uh, the mom's name is Elizabeth. Uh, she goes by mother for most of it. So, um, the... <laughs> okay, so first off, let's just... We were trying to choose a movie last night, and we went through a couple trailers, and we were really kind of undecided, and I said, Corey, I don't care what we watched. You pick the movie. So I assumed he was going to go back and pick one of the movies of the trailers that we just watched, but no, he just pulls up Netflix and clicks on a random movie and presses play. Literally the very first thing that popped up. I did that on purpose. It was the first one. Bang. And I said wait, what are we watching? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what do you mean you don't 
no, no. What did you pick? I don't know. I just picked a random movie. And I was like, well, what's the name of it? I don't know. <laughs> so we literally knew nothing about this movie going into it. Just a heads up. Also, Corey thought that the movie was produced by LeBron James. And it was LeBron's new production studio, which don't laugh too much about it because apparently he does have a production studio out there in the works, not doing any high, no movies really, right? Mm -hmm. And it is by the production studio, A. Braun Studios. (laughs) So we watched this entire movie with the impression that LeBron James's production studio (laughs) produced it. So that was... Just us going into this movie. And then in the opening scene, we see Shia LaBeouf. And Corey's like, oh, look, Shia LaBeouf. I didn't know he was in this movie. <laughs> and then we see his pregnant wife come into the scenes. And then they're shortly after that, they're at home experiencing labor. And things are just getting a little, like, um, I don't know. It was, like, a little anxious. or It just felt like something was not right going on so they're at home doing home birth that's apparently planned she has a midwife they call her she's busy doing another delivery so they send another midwife over um that she maybe wasn't a big fan of or hasn't met a couple you know she'd never met before but she trusted her because her midwife trusted her yeah but still it was like throwing off your plans anybody that's had a pregnancy knows that you try to plan everything and in the end none of your plans matter because it's not about your plans So um, they're dealing with that. Everything seems to be going okay. But even before anything happened, I was telling Corey, I was like, she's going to lose the baby. Like I can just, they're just setting it up where you can just tell from the beginning that something's going to happen. So quickly I pull up my phone and find out what this movie's about. And sure enough, it's about um, a mother going through grief and, you know, her relationships. So that confirmed that something was for sure going to happen. So she actually delivers the baby. I wouldn't say just fine. There was a few moments where the baby's heart rate or heart rate was kind of dipping down. The um, midwife calls the ambulance or tells Shia Buff to call the ambulance to get them ready. The baby does finally come out. She looks great. She's breathing, all that. And then within minutes after birth, the baby turns blue and dies. And as that's happening, the ambulance is arriving. So being in the healthcare industry, I've I've never done labor and delivery myself, but um, it it, it appears that she took appropriate steps and measures. Um, She did encourage Shia LaBeouf that... The baby, you know, maybe you should guys should consider going to the hospital. The baby appears to be in distress. The baby doesn't seem to like, you know, the way laboring's going. Um, she's definitely going to keep an eye on it, but you know, you really should consider going to the hospital or calling the ambulance sooner. And him and his wife basically said, "No, we're not doing that. We're staying home. We don't want to go to the hospital." And so she continues to go through, and then it gets to the point where she's like, "For sure, like, okay, this just you really need to get somebody here fast because this baby's not handling this well. If we don't get her out, we could lose her." Um, and then they end up losing the baby anyways. So that happens really fast in the beginning of the movie. But- not so fast. The first 30 minutes of the movie, you haven't even seen the credits or the intro yet. That The first 30 minutes of a two-hour movie. So one quarter of the whole movie is the birth of the child. Right, but I mean like it happens fast as though like that's like the whole first beginning of the mm-hmm. movie is happening. It's not like you're waiting for that. Like you, This is all happening in the beginning. 
Um, and then from there on, you see how the two of them um, basically are grieving in two different ways. Shia LaBeouf wants to talk about the baby, see the baby, um, have the funeral services. Shia wants to remember the baby and always have a memory of the baby. Yeah. And Martha wants to, I shouldn't, we shouldn't be calling him Shia. Sean wants to just remember the baby. Martha wants to forget it. Yeah. She's grieving differently. She wants to donate the baby to science. She doesn't want to go through the funeral process. She wants to take down the nursery right away. Um, she basically wants to move on from the whole situation and pretend like it didn't happen. And that's just the way that, that's just an example of how two people grieve differently. Everybody just goes through their grief completely different. Um, she goes to back to work pretty fast. Um, so the movie also is a very, it does have a very artsy film um, to it. The, sh- the angles and the shots are the very... cinematography. Yeah. Um, but it also starts off in September, and every month is when you see, like, a little they bit They show happening. us a change. Yeah. yeah. So, like, September is when it first started, and then, like, October is when the baby was born, right? Was it born in September? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then October was, like, maybe the funeral October, talk. you actually see her first, her walk back. So we're like, oh, wow, three weeks later, she's coming back to work. And then the funeral stuff mm-hmm. happens. Yes. So like every month, some, a new layer is happening in the grieving process. Um, and I mean, once we see that happening and it's approaching spring at the end of the movie, we know that like once spring arrives with the new growth and, the, and you know, all that, that she's going to start to see the light and stuff like that. And she does. Um it, took, it takes her about six months. The movie's six months, a six-month span. So you see all the grieving in a six-month span. Yeah. And it takes her that long until the end of the movie to actually um, recognize and process what happened. Because literally, the, the entire rest of the movie, she's um, isolating herself from everybody else, from her family, from her husband, um, from her friends. And she's just... Like we said, she's going through the motions, but she's not wanting to accept what happened. Like, she doesn't even want to look at it head on. She just wants to, like, erase all of that from her life and pretend it didn't happen. Where Sean, on the, on the other hand, he wants to remember her. He wants to... He wants to keep, like, the her baby pictures, for instance. He wants to have a funeral where she has yeah. a, a headstone so he can remember her and go see her. Whereas Martha doesn't want any of it. at yeah. this point doesn't want any of it by right. the end she gets some films developed uh, yeah. some film developed and she cries as she sees a picture of her holding her um this whole time during her grieving she has this weird obsession with apples and we're like where did at the, when, as it's going through the movie it just seems odd to be honest yeah. the whole thing seems weird that she's into apples so much and then at the very end you find out when she's in court and they ask her to t- talk about some characteristics of the baby, like he asked, were her fingers long? Were they blue? To, were her, how, what did her toes look like? Were they blue? And she goes, I was looking at her face. And then he asked some other questions. She's like, uh, brown, like talking about her hair color. And then she says she smelled like apples. Yeah, and that's when... That's when you know. Yeah. And um, she... Yeah, there's like a whole... You, know, you can watch the movie to see the whole apple thing. Um 
So the two of them really butt heads a lot because they're not on the same page. They're not processing it the same way. Neither one understands how the other one's grieving. You know, like she can't understand, he can't understand why she's acting like that. And she can't understand why he's acting, you know, the way he is. So you see a big divide in the two. Um, and then you see she does donate the body to science. And then Sean, she kind of does that, even though she promised him she wouldn't. She still goes off and does it. And then Sean decides to do his own thing. And he decides to take the midwife to court for um, what happened with the baby. So they're trying to say that the midwife didn't, you know, call for help soon enough, whatever they can to get basically millions of dollars um, from this. And there's also a lot of pressure coming in from Martha's mother. She plays a pretty big role in the whole movie as well. Um, She's wealthy and Sean and Martha, Sean and Martha lean, well, Seems more Martha. It seems like Sean doesn't really want to, but they lean on her financially for some things. So I think it shows that she likes to kind of have a little control of that yes. relationship and control of her daughter. Um, and for the, and another thing, she tries to push the trial. She wants. Yeah. She thinks that justice is served if someone gets punished for what happened. Right. And Martha wants nothing to do with it. Also because she just doesn't want to even face the fact of what's happening. So, the, the you know, the rest of the movie, they're kind of battling that. Sean decides to do that on his own. So it's happening. But Martha doesn't know a whole lot about it. And finally, towards the end, she learns about the case. And she decides to go to the courthouse and speak um, as a witness, and that's at that moment, that's when she comes to grips with it because she's forced to relive the night to talk about it. Um, and during one of the recess breaks from court, she goes to get film developed, and that's when she sees pictures of her baby for the first time, and that's when she really breaks down. And um, from that moment on, we we saw her kind of re regrow or whatever you know she kind of came back from her depression in that sense slowly they show it slowly yeah 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 it wasn't like an overnight thing but yeah i guess the big thing that we left it was a turning point is at one point um martha's mom pays sean to leave essentially Mm -hmm. uh and never come back we don't really see the check she writes him a check and says here go start over somewhere and never come back and don't even tell Martha why you left why? or something. Yeah. Um, but so he does do that, and we're both a little sh- shocked by it. Um, not fully shocked, but a little shocked. He and Martha's relationship had deteriorated so yeah. much, you aren't fully shocked that he did it. You're more, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a tough scene because you can see uh, Sean's character crying as he enters the airport. He doesn't want to do it, it doesn't seem. Uh, I think he's also crying the fact that his marriage just failed. He just lost his kid. Yeah. I just think everything's hitting him. And I mentioned that to Samantha. It's interesting. Like Shia LaBeouf tends to play stronger uh, or maybe just not as like emotional of characters, like, at least showing it. And Sean is like a real like was, he was like a, a, fra- a more fragile character, yeah, more for emotional sure. for sure. And it was interesting to see Shia play that, and he thought he did a really good job. Um, Also, the character deals with alcoholism, which Shia LaBeouf deals with in real life. So I'm sure that was 
easy enough for him to act, but he does a good job with it. It's not a big deal in the movie, but they do touch on it. Yeah. I like that they didn't like um, make it bigger than what they did. Mm-hmm. Like they just put little pieces of it in the movie, but they didn't like um, focus on it at all, which I liked because that would have taken away from the rest of the movie if they had yeah. done that. Anyways, he was six years sober, but the loss of his child they did like allude to that would make anyone relapse, especially if yeah. you have addiction. And he well, does. and not having support, he yeah. didn't have any support from his wife. Um, but what was strange too was not only Sean leaving, making the choice to leave, but like Martha didn't even question it, didn't seem to be phased by it. Not she until just, the end again. Yeah. He leaves his hat, oh, which yeah. at the very end, you see her on a bridge. One, he's a bridge builder. And two, she like puts on his winter hat and yeah. just looks off this bridge that he was working on. Yeah. And that's like the only ode that she really pays to his character. Yeah, you're right. It makes you think maybe she misses him, but they don't really show too much of, of that. It's hard to it, it's hard to assume that because she's so cold for a lot of the movie. Yeah, most of the movie we don't really know. Martha. She's very isolated. We don't really learn Martha's character who she was before all this until the end, and we still don't know because you're obviously going to be changed forever from that situation. Right, right. So it's interesting. We never learn Martha's character from before that situation. Yeah. We assume, can assume things about her that she was more loving and more emotional and all that, but we don't know. Maybe she was. I, I'm assuming she was. Yeah. But you don't know. Yeah. I mean, you can tell that she probably had a. Her and her mother seemed to not get along all the time, even though she was helping them out. But there was definitely some power struggles between the two of them. Um, whether it was just related to the baby or not, we we couldn't really tell. Um, Okay, so overall, Corey, what are your thoughts on this movie? Um, I would say, real quick, since we just broke it down, had good acting. Yeah. Had good cinematography. I thought the story was played out pretty well. Um, and the writing was pretty good. But I thought that the movie did run a little long to me. I know it's hard to wrap up like that kind of loss and they did try to do it six months which doesn't seem like that long to do it but it just it just felt a little long and i think it felt long because there was often some dry spots where there was no dialogue it was just like martha doing this or martha doing that with no talking yeah it was dry um i've seen some uh other critiques i was telling samantha about that a lot of the ways they showed like the characters deteriorating were with symbols like dying plants or they talk about the white stripes being this couple that just uh, crumbled in front of the public eye, which is ironic because we're watching Sean and Martha crumble through the TV screen. That's supposed to be a metaphor. Uh, and the critics were saying that all the metaphors are just right blatant in your face and they aren't, you don't have to think about it. And to me personally, I was going to say, I didn't see that as that big of a deal, really. Yeah. I, I get what they're saying, but I don't know how else you would do it. I guess they're looking for them to be more creative than just a dying plant equaling a dying relationship. Like, I, I get that that's cliche, and you see that in lots of movies, but I don't know how else they want them to, to me, do that. To me, that seems more like a, re- a reality thing. Like, it's, I mean, it's, I think you see that. Like, when, when you see... And it could be a way for others to learn to spot depression in their family and friends, you know? Like, 
when someone is depressed, they tend to not take care of their home. Their dishes pile up. They don't take care of their plants. So um, to me, it didn't seem like it was like a cheesy, corny thing. It just seemed like a very realistic thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Overall, I would say that I liked the movie. I wasn't watching it being like, oh my God, like this is so hard to watch. But at the same time, I'm not going to go in to work the next day and be like, oh, we just saw this amazing movie. You got to go watch it. No, I mean, you know, to each their own, I guess. If, if you're interested, it's it's it does have a little artsiness to it. To me, I think some, some of the cinematography was a little too artsy. Like they were trying too hard almost. Like filming the shower head run. I don't know. Just There was just like little pieces they they were like filming a lot of like body parts like just like her elbow or I, I don't know just you know what I mean like it was just some well, during scenes. the you could tell it was going to be filmed that right, that way right from the beginning the yeah. way the birth was filmed yes it it to me like you that's her take like Samantha didn't like that but to me they were trying to make it seem more real like they're showing you like the realness of the moment like trying to capture everything I guess but the two characters were in the scene and. There was nobody's viewpoint that would have just been looking at their arms and not them. Mm-hmm. It just was a little, like, I, I don't mind some, like, artsy film work. Like, I don't mind it. But this one was just sometimes a little too... You found it over the top at times. Yeah, a little over the top. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, it was a good movie. Good acting, for sure. Um, gave you some stuff to think about, you know? I It's... It's too good for me to say a C, even though I feel like it's a light B. Yeah. Like for my grade, because I, I, I don't do plus or minuses. So I'm going to say a B, but it's really in between a C and a B somewhere for me. Um, I guess I would give it like a C. Man, we're not on a good, good string here. Ava, Peppermint. The uh, pieces of a woman have all been C's for you, I think. Oh, have they? Um, like I said, it's not a movie where I'm like, oh my god, that was terrible, don't watch it. But I'm also not going to go in and say, hey, this was a great movie, check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for something to watch and you have Netflix, you know, by all means, check it out. Let us know what you think. And what do you got for me here, Cor? Uh, real quick at the end, I got a game for Samantha back to Yellowstone. Uh, this is an actor or actress in Yellowstone. I'm going to give some facts. I'm going to give three right off the bat, and then I have three more if you can't guess it off of the first three. Okay. All right. Yep. So it's the actor, not the character. Actor or actress. I don't, I don't know their name, so I'm just going to have to tell you who the character is. But okay, okay. I get what you're saying. Okay, it's going to be one of these people. Okay. It's going to be Monica, who's played by... Um, it's not going to be Monica. Okay, just I'll just tell you the character's name, but you know okay. what? I'm, I know you mean that the facts are about the actual actor, not the character. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Go ahead. I famously played Frank Farmer. I was born in California. I have directed my own film before. Well, if it's Frank Farmer, I would assume it's a male character. Lives in Cali, uh, or born in Cali. Yes, I was born in California. What was the third piece? 
I've directed my own film before. Okay, give me the next one. Next one or next three? The next one more. I have only done one voice voiceover character in my whole career. Is it Kevin? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kevin Costner was the voice of the dog in uh, Racing in the Rain. Or Driving. Uh, oh, yeah. Race yeah, cars yeah, yeah, in the yeah. Rain. Um, the Art of Driving in the Rain. The Art of Driving in the Rain. There you go. Frank Farmer was the bodyguard of Whitney Houston. At the time, uh, Kevin Costner had just done... Well, he did... This is the one of the clues. I didn't want to get into that because this kind of gave it away. He won two Oscars previously to the bodyguard for the same film he directed and uh it won best picture dances with wolves Mm -hmm. and that like shot kevin costner like onto the hollywood radar but then he backed it up with the bodyguard and then he backed it up with untouchables those three films in a row all did over 150 million and were like huge hits and then kevin costner was who he is now he was like superstar yeah so anyway the highest grossing film Dances with Wolves made three hundred and sixty-six million. That's crazy. Wow. It's a huge film. Um, I think when you had, I directed my own film before. I knew that was gonna give it. That's why yeah. the first ones I was like, because eh. um, I thought maybe you would think you don't know too much about Luke Grimes, Casey. So I was like, she could think it's Casey, yeah. and you don't know too much about Cole. Yeah, that's kind of why I wanted one more. Um, I don't know who Frank Farmer is. Born in Cali could really be anything. That was why it was my first clue, because I didn't want to give it to you the first yeah. of the gate. And then the voiceover. I had a feeling that the other people didn't do any voiceovers. Another weird fact is Kevin Costner has only done one TV series in his whole career. Yellowstone? Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. He is a true movie star. Oh, but I'm so obsessed with the show. And I'm when so we were obsessed. talking about Kevin Costner, that's why I did him, because... It seems like we secretly like like have both like him and have movies like Samantha, for instance, likes Waterworld. Oh my gosh! And when that I was, was one of my favorite when I was doing some research on him, it was like it was a movie that was like widely panned by critics, but has like this huge cult following. Like Waterworld, yeah, like oh, a lot of sure. people like love for it. Sure. And at the time, he was really into like apocalyptic things, so he did Waterworld, not his own budget and. Like it was this script that he read and he loved it. He liked it so much. He was doing, he decided to do his own movie, The Postman, but he put a lot of money into it of his own money, produced it, directed it, was the star in it. And it was another post, post apocalyptic film and it bombed. Oh gosh. And he was saying how he also got offered this huge role and I can't remember the film now. And he told Harrison Ford, you take it. I, I'm too busy with Postman. And it went out to be like a huge film for Harrison Ford. <laughs> and it was just saying, like, it's so weird how your passion projects can be some of your worst. Like, he just couldn't get past the site. I guess people were telling him it wasn't going to be good. And he's like, no, I, I love it. It's, I got to put this out here. Is it actually out? Yeah, the Postman. Out. I saw it. I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. Is it terrible? I've seen almost all of Kevin's movies. Is it terrible? It's not good. It's about the same as Waterworld, though. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> that was like one of my favorite movies growing up. I loved Waterworld. I don't know why either. It's yeah, a I'm strange not a movie. Waterworld. <laughs> but I did. I loved it. I was an odd person. I was some odd childhood movies. Oh, don't we all, though? Yeah, everyone has one or two. Yeah. 
Yours is that weird... Mine is the dark crystal. The and, dark crystal. And gremlins. Yeah. Mine would be the labyrinth. And I guess Waterworld. I feel like I could probably go on. <laughs> Clue is a weird movie to like as a child. Oh my gosh, I used to love Clue. And have you ever seen Tommy Trigger? No. Oh, you like that Killer Clowns movie. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I definitely am into some more cults. Yeah. Um, the Alice in Wonderland with the people version. I don't even know what... That one's a strange one, too. My brother and I used to watch that. Um, the people person with um, Peter Pan. There was one with this female with mm. short hair played him. I can never find that one again. Um, I had... Witches. We used to watch Witches. Um, when I was young, we had VHSs, and I didn't have a whole bunch of them. Parents weren't really into movies like I was, so I only had, like, five or six. Yeah. So, like, if someone asked me what my favorite movie is, I was just going to name the VHSs I had. And I remember people can't couldn't believe, like, <laughs> this goes back to my dad letting me watch whatever I wanted. Yeah. Like, they were all way adult for, like, a 10-year-old. People were like, what's your favorite movie? I'd be like, Top Gun. Another 10-year-olds would be like, what? What movie? <laughs> we had a movie theater like right outside of our neighborhood, and my friends and I would walk there all the time. So that's why I would watch Clue all the time. Um, the Craft we used to rent and watch, like Practical Magic. We would go to the movie theater all the time and get movies. My favorite, my, I think I can... Or those, not movie, like movie store. The six movies we had were Top Gun, Home Alone, mm-hmm. Dark Crystal, um, Crocodile Dundee, which I was extremely obsessed with, and then the first two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, the like oh, yeah. live ones. Yeah. So one and two, they did make a third. And that was your whole childhood. That was my childhood. So I Yikes. like cartoony was kind of to me cartoony was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so I didn't really like them that much. I I forget like I was. Extremely obsessed with Paul Hogan and Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> and Top Gun. I thought like Tom Cruise was like the movie star at that time. Yeah, I'm sure. As did many people. Yeah. Tom Cruise is definitely not a favorite of mine by any means. <laughs> I actually can't stand him. <laughs> but that's a different story. All right. Well, it's going on 1 a.m. here. So I think we're going to call it quite <laughs> Um, we'll see you next week. We're going to get together a list of the... Oh, we did find out that the Oscars are going to be April 25th. April 25th. So we're, we were planning on doing the Oscar movies um, this month and February, but we're going to hold off until probably March and April. So that way it's close and fresh to the Oscar award ceremony, and we're going to review them at that point. We do have a list of movies. You don't have a handy, do you, Cor? No. Um, we'll come up, we'll tell you them uh, next. I can tell you right now, I know. What were they? The Trial of the Chicago 7, Minari, Promising Young Woman, um, King of Staten Island, and Sound of Metal. Okay. Those are the ones that we're planning to review for the Oscars. Um, there was plenty more out there. We just went through the list and saw ones that we were interested in and that we had access to. We had rounded about about 20 titles of different various sites that predicted these films could win. And then we figured out when could we watch these films by? Can we see them before April 25th? And we knew we couldn't do all of them. So we 
got it down to five. The five that we were interested in. We want to give movies to you guys that we actually have a little bit of interest in. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, if you want, we'll post them on our social media. You can find us on Instagram at the underscore Coco underscore Jojo show. And um, I think it's just the Coco Jojo show on Facebook as well. Um, and we'll post the list there for you guys to see. So that way you guys can um, see if you can watch some of the movies as well. So when we review them, you've seen them and, you know, know a little bit about them. And then we're hoping for the Oscars. It's not until April, which is just crazy. It's like half the year is already over. But um, we're hoping to put a list together for the Oscars um, that we can do. There's like a little game thing that we like to do. So we'll talk more about that closer to and um now that we're done with yellowstone for a while we have to figure out what else we're gonna watch <laughs> mm-hmm. um to say that i was obsessed with yellowstone was really an understatement it's the most I've, well i can't say that because we just did two kind of series back to back that you've been into i was gonna say it's the most i've seen you into a series but that's not true because you really like queen's gambit i did but i definitely was more into yellowstone mm. i was like a whole lot invested into yellowstone I think Queen's Gambit, while we're talking Oscars, is going to hit big. Yeah, for sure. That was That's getting a lot of good reviews. No. All right. Well, peace out.